This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. Discover Zeo's expansive network maps on their website and see where their network can take you. With low latency, reliable 400 gig and 800 gig enabled routes, it's the modern network solution you've been searching for. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of IT Visionaries, and today we have a special guest. His name is Adam Burke, and he is the VP of Partnerships and Sales at a company called Quest Technology Management. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Albert. Appreciate being here. Thank you very much for the invite. This is great. Hey, listen, I'm excited to have you here. We're going to talk a little bit about your background and all that good stuff, but before we get going... You know, our audience has to know, why are you even in the seat right now? Why are we interviewing you? Give us an idea. What is Quest Technology Management and what does it do? Well, thanks again for, you know, letting me to join the show. <laughs> um, Quest Technology Management is a system integrator. We've been in business for about 40 years, helping organizations with their technology needs. Um, that's everything from the physical infrastructure layer all the way through cybersecurity, application development, network monitoring, and basically the entire IT stack where organizations are looking for help uh, integrating and solving complex problems. Now for yourselves or for the company, do you have a special area of focus or have you noticed that your customers are coming from specific industries? We don't necessarily focus on a specific vertical or industry, but we do, there, we do notice trends. Organizations looking for help um, in integration tend to fall into financial services space, uh, healthcare, uh, manufacturing, and organizations that are dealing with compliance needs. Organizations that there's a lot of data moving around, a lot of applications tying into different platforms and on-prem versus off-prem. And there's regulation and security controls that need to be put in place. And uh, we, we tend to get involved in, in those types of discussions pretty often, uh, usually with organizations that are dealing with complex situations. And everyone these days is, is, has some type of complexity in their IT environment. No doubt about it. And you add on the new layers of hybrid cloud, on-prem uh, data center combinations that are coming to come into bear. There was this hypothesis, like maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago that everyone would just move to the cloud. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, well, now companies are moving out of cloud. They're moving hybrid cloud. Hybrid seems to be the hybrid multi-cloud seems to be the number one type of install for the customer base you just kind of described. For yourself, you know, you mentioned compliance as a major driver. We've talked to some of the hyperscalers before and they've kind of said that, you know, and I've heard various numbers, of course, nobody actually knows, but a lot of people seem to guess that it's under 30, that less than 30% of the world's workloads are in the cloud mm -hmm. to date. And it's a mind boggling thing because everyone assumes the cloud migration has already happened. From the industries you're servicing, you know, you mentioned compliance being the massive driver. How much of a driver is compliance versus the need to deliver services faster? Do you, do, you, do you see compliance being the number one reason or do you see innovation or desire for innovation being on par, if not greater than compliance? Yeah, I think it, it the, the pendulum kind of swings back and forth depending on the latest, the you know, latest issues or, or breaches or lawsuits or things that happen to folks um, and how yeah. that all kind of plays out. I think everyone, everyone's trying to deal with how do we deliver capabilities to our users and our customers while at the same time securing the enterprise. Those are those that's a dichotomy there. That's it never stops. Um, and as and we see this all the time as you as you press forward and add additional uh, features and 
you know, additional convenience for the end user. Oftentimes there's a tale of vulnerability behind you that you got to make sure you're shoring up. Hey, it's, it's fantastic. We're allowing access. It's, it's fantastic. We have work from home initiatives. It's great. We have a mobile workforce. There's li- there's a dis- different types of liabilities with all those different features, which is, is something that never goes away. And, and you got to really build a practice around securing that convenience at all times. So give us an idea of what are some of the gaps or how, what gaps are you helping your clients close? Because this is one of those things where cybersecurity is one of those things where people, I always feel like talk about, but they don't actually care about. Um, someone, someone said to me, someone said to me, if you, you follow a simple stock investing strategy, which is you wait for someone to have a breach, their stock will cater. Mm-hmm. Uh, just go ahead and buy it right there because it'll bounce back in no time because it doesn't actually matter. And I was, and this was from like a cybersecurity analyst we've had on the show before, yeah. which was crazy. <laughs> but yeah. we know there's investment. People definitely care very much so, even if it feels like sometimes cybersecurity, I always think of it as cybersecurity becomes like a... Um, it's necessary and it's beneficial, but the problem is, is that the desire to ship features and like you said, meet customer needs kind of overtakes that sometimes. And then they think about um, cybersecurity in arrears, like, okay, now that we shipped it, how do we secure it? Is that what you're still seeing? Yeah. I mean, there, so there's a lot of fear, uncertainty and, and doubt that gets thrown out in the cybersecurity space. And, and I think what a lot of people don't realize is they have fantastic cybersecurity capabilities within their existing investments. A lot of people are not necessarily leveraging all the capabilities that they have. I mean, the, the amount of, the amount of you know, beans and bullets that people have to secure their environment, it's like they kind of forget what's on the shelf and they kind of get you know, the next problem, the next, hey, we've got to micro-segment this environment or we got to, you know, uh, permissions, we've got to figure out the permissions and controls here. Like, well, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a ton you can do, but a lot of people already have a lot of that in place. And I think it comes down to like when you're talking to someone about, hey, how do you lose weight? Well, diet and exercise. It's 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 an easy fix, but it's hard to execute on, right? Cybersecurity mm-hmm. is very similar. There are ways to get the most out of your investments, secure your end users, manage your policies, manage your permissions. You know, I don't care if it's a Microsoft or you know VMware or Citrix or uh, Azure or AWS. There are controls that, as an IT professional, you can put in place. But it takes discipline. It takes education. It takes constant commitment to that. Like everything else in business, where if you if you slack on it, it's it's going to catch up with you. I know the big shops, like you mentioned, public sector companies that are investable and have access to debt markets and things like that. Yeah, sure. They get a, you know, they get a 10% haircut, you invest in them and it's going to, it's going to fill that gap, you know, pretty quick. But there are middle market companies, there are organizations that drive our economy that go away when they get hacked, breached and held for ransom. Like there are organizations that just no longer exist because they get breached there. We've, we saw universities go away. We've seen, we've seen, we've seen some, some terrible stuff happen and the bad actors are, they're not, they're not complacent. They're, they're hustling. They're, they're getting after it and finding new vulnerabilities. So the fear, uncertainty and doubt going after selling a new shiny widget, I think could be a little overdone, but the fear, uncertainty and doubt of, Hey, you need to have a program. You need to have policy and you need to have a discipline around the security or security practice is something that I think is pretty legitimate for for the middle market, at least. Yeah. You know, I've, I've read and we've talked to different groups about what is, or I guess the biggest vulnerability. And a lot of times they always say, I mean, it's universally, this answer is it always comes back to the people, right? Like whether you install firewalls, you have network security, you have batch security, you have 
password security, like you can have all kinds of security, but at the end of the day, your weakest link is actually the people. And that is typically in which I was surprised by. I was, I was told that that is actually still how malware gets or worms or any type of malicious code mm-hmm. it gets injected yep. typically still through phishing, which I thought was crazy. Cause you would think that people are beyond that. Like, you know, I always thought it was like mission impossible. They're breaking in through the network. It's like, it's not really that yeah. <laughs> it's like they, it's like an employee willingly installs something erroneously is how it begins. <laughs> yeah. And they, and they've, I mean, so, so I run, I run our channel and our sales program and they have, they the bad actors have created an agency referral arrangement as well to not wow. to not only you know not only you know do spear phishing and hey just please don't click the link guys don't click the link just please don't click the link <laughs> but but even yeah. even beyond that they're they're recruiting people that are not only they're just getting they're getting kickbacks and and a piece of the cut of whatever's extorted for providing detailed wow. information or access so it's there's there's recruitment going on, there's inside actors going on. You're absolutely right. We we run an incident response, incident containment team, and 80% of the breaches and the folks who come to us in in pain and and looking for help, they're they've experienced they've it's been something at the end user level, right? And we had one incident where an organization they spent millions of dollars on security features and software and you know, we, we were meeting with the CFO um, in the middle of the IR um, and he's like, so let me get this straight. I just spent $2.4 million on the security upgrade and my entire organization is being held hostage because one person clicked the link. And, you know, we had to say, yeah, that's, that's, that looks like where it originated. Here's the forensics, here's the documentation. You know, what would you like to do? Would you like to rebuild from backups? Luckily they had immutable storage backups and a, a, a clean copy, but that took the business down for a couple of days while all those VMs and everything had to get rebuilt. So it, it's, um, and, and his thing was he had spent millions of dollars. The problem was you can have the best weapon systems, you can have the best security uh, software in the world, but if, if you don't have someone who's operating and maintaining that and, and knows how to, how, to, how to use that system, I mean, I mean, you're, I mean, you're, dig, you're digging a trench with an AK-47, it's the wrong tool. It's, you're, not, you're, not using, you're not using what you have in your kit. The story you just told and then the combination of what you talked about before, which was, hey, middle, you know, small to mid-sized businesses, which drive the country, they're the ones that are the most, let's say, vulnerable or they're the least likely ones to be able to overcome a massive setback. And then you talk a little bit about, you know, it's a lot of times it's it's self-inflicted or a lot of times people might be overconfident in their invested technology solutions and you know, it's, it's a crazy thing to think about from where you're sitting, from where you're sitting, how do you recommend people when they come to you and they say, Hey, Adam, we think we have a potential problem. We want to, you know, we, we want to expand our locations. We want to expand services to the cloud. Hey, we want to keep more disaster on-prem. I'm sure there's a million different things people are trying to accomplish, where, how do you guide them down that decision process? Because there's certain th- trees that they have to be clicking off that are going to be high value. And then, you know, certain events are going to be maybe highly expensive, but low ROI. Like, how do you guide people down the path to, to what to implement? Because this is something that I think every business, like you said, if you, the problem with being small or medium-sized businesses, if you take on a bad hijacking or something like that, like you might be done. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's 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 a great point. And where we where we like to start, and what's crucial for for people who are trying to operate, you know, and make decisions, is you got to know where you got to first know where you are. What do, what do you have? What what are your current vulnerabilities? What are your current uh, what's your current kind of risk matrix look like? And you can do that a couple of different ways. You you can go in. We we work a lot in. There's a lot of M&A going on right now. You know, interest rates are changing, mm-hmm. so it's slowing down a little bit. But a lot of deals have been made, and a lot of firms are trying to integrate. And they don't know what they don't know is what assets they've acquired. They don't know what they're necessarily bringing on board and what potential vulnerabilities they have. And that could be a new a new CIO, a new director. You just just got brought into a new role. Hey, this is this is what I'm being told. These are the service level agreements I have. This is the software, you know, this is, this is my endpoint protection. Here's my, here's my firewalls. Here's my core switching. Here's what I have for, you know, for, for network health, but that's all on paper. Operationally, what do you really have? So where, where are you uh, in the landscape first is the first thing we like to strongly advise people do, right? So we do, we do something called like a ransomware assessment or basically a malware review or a, um, sometimes post event, you'll do like a, a containment assessment. Like, is there anything uh, still there? Are there are there known vulnerabilities? How do we prevent this from happening in the future? What do you have in place? So, and then you get a you get a risk matrix and we, we go through, there's a thing called the FAIR scoring um, a matrix where basically it shows your organization, how you compare to your other industry uh, peers, and then what's the probability of, uh, of an incident happening based on your current footprint. And then in the event, any of these vulnerabilities are exploited, what does it mean to the business? Cause I mean, if, if someone comes to the CFO and says, Hey, I need to invest a million dollars to solve something that it might cost us a hundred thousand, but I mean, it's a business decision, right? That, yeah. that doesn't match, but I need to bring someone on to manage and maintain our patching levels for all of our operating systems. And that's going to cost, you know, you can bring in a third party or you can hire someone to do it. You know, that's going to cost $100,000, dollars a year, but that's going to potentially prevent a business impact of multi-million dollar, you know, effect. That, that's the business decision. So you got to first understand where you are. And then depending on the investment you're looking to make, what's the actual outcome? Why are you doing that? And I have sales reps and partners who hate it when I do this. We, we worked with a large, <laughs> <laughs> we, sorry, we worked with a large, uh, lottery organization one time, and we were in the room with the vendor, the OEM manufacturer, uh, enterprise sales rep, and they were looking at doing a pretty significant upgrade to part of their network and a big refresh. And we, we, we started having the business outcome conversation, like, hey, why, why are you doing this? And it came down to there was some latency that was affecting a certain application. Well, this is a multi-million dollar purchase. And and we we went in there and had a question like, well, have you have you looked at this piece of your architecture? And so we brought in a you know an engineer to kind of take a look at it, and you know we we effectively removed ourselves from a multi million dollar re- refresh sale to a, <laughs> I think it was like a two thousand dollar consulting gig. Um, but at the same time, it's like a, a lot of people will gloss over that and say, no no no, we gotta we gotta buy the next new toy, you know. I want to get from I want to get from here to LA in two hours, so I got to buy a Ferrari. Like, well, why do you need to get there in two hours? I don't I don't know. Um, not quite. <laughs> I, I was told it was a good idea. Like, no. Well, let's let's talk about it. What, what's the actual outcome you need? You know, you need to uh, you need to achieve, and and then how does that map back to the business? 
What you just said actually reminded me of the time uh, someone tried to upsell a company I was a part of and having a dedicated line for network. Um, and you're like, they're like, it's a dedicated line. It's one gig up and down. This is pre-fiber when, before pre-fiber was readily available, you know? So it was just like this idea of this like massive capacity. Yeah, yeah. And then I had an, anal- I had my friend like, like, what are you talking about? It's like, oh yeah. He says it's going to be super blazing fast. And I, and he, and he said, well, how much data are you moving over your network anyway? And he's like, I, I was like, I don't know. And they were asking about big media files. Cause I was like, we're doing social media. We're doing constantly pictures and stuff. He's like, dude, picture ain't that big. They're like, you know, do you know how fast the gig is? How much is the line? There's like, the line is this much for this many years. He was like, that is a complete waste over capacity. I'm sure your sales reps did want to punch you in the face right there. They were like, yeah. You just cost me the biggest commission of my life, but, well, but, well, the thing was that that's still a customer. That's still a customer today. The OEM, manu- yeah. the OEM manufacturer, I think we, we stopped, got, we, we didn't get invited to their partner summit for at least a year or two after that one. That's okay though. We walked it off. Um, but it was fun. And, but, but like, I don't know if you ever read, uh, uh, was, who's the guy who wrote the big short Lewis, um, Michael, Michael Lewis. Lewis, do you ever read flash boys? The, about the, no, I have not. It's a great book about the uh, the guys in, in the New York Stock Exchange connecting to the Mercantile Exchange in Chicago, and they build a dedicated fiber line directly between those two exchanges. And it talks about all the dark pool and the front running trades and all that kind of stuff. And now, now that infrastructure and that multi gig capacity and all those relays, multi million dollar project that yielded billions, right? Yeah. So that kind of stuff makes sense. Like, okay. Yeah, well, they're, they're arbitraging in split fractions of a second. So yeah, the speed has to be there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they can't deal with any type of network traffic and none. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that stuff, that stuff is great, but it's like, well, yeah, you know, you know, Joe doesn't like that. It takes, you know, an extra, extra, you know, half a millisecond for his, uh, for his, his VDI to open or his, uh, exchange to open up and call back home to, to the Microsoft tenant. It's like, yeah. I don't think we need to drop 20, you know, 20 grand to fix that problem. Like just wait for half a second. <laughs> well, you kind of hinted at the, the long-term strategy of the company and yourself, you know, right? Like if you right size people and fix people's problem efficiently today, the reality is they'll probably use you again for something else tomorrow. Uh, so as evident by you saying, Hey, they're still a customer. I mean, that's, that's actually the key for yourself. One of the things that we know about, so like, for example, if I were to go to Quest Technologies website, I'm going to see that you guys have, you know, big overarching areas of service, cybersecurity, managed cloud, disaster recovery, professional service, infrastructure, and it sounds like products you can help make custom software solutions potentially. Mm -hmm. For yourself, you have all these like array of things, but most people don't need all of it at once. And surely they're not going to go to one third party for it all. So how do you... How do you see people addressing their security in writing? For example, it's often said writers don't do well editing their own content, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Is that the same true for infrastructure? Like if I set up the infrastructure, am I the right person to protect it? Or is like, if I set up the protection, am I the right person to pick the next advancement of infrastructure? Like, do, do you see that? Like, do companies try to have uh, technology SIs like yourself, like kind of checking on each other. Like, I don't know how that's working right now. Yeah. So this is a circle of trust here. We'll go ahead and throw it out there. I would wish that more organizations would be proactive in that mindset of, Hey, I'm going to bring someone in to do this. The majority of our security engagements happen after something's gone horribly wrong. Mm, Gotcha. And that's because of the culture that we've we've built we don't we don't typically go into an organization 
and tell them, hey, you need to do this or you need to acquire, you need to buy this. Um, where a lot of our competitors and some of my partners I work with would really like me to go in and tell the customer how they're wrong in all these different ways and how we can fix them. We've never been successful doing that. And I think one of the reasons we've been around for 42 years is because we're, we're trying to communicate, hey, this, these are potential areas of risk and here's how we've seen organizations secure it. There aren't a lot of Boy Scouts out there in the world. There aren't a lot of people out there who are proactively prepared for this. It's typically, you know, people are going to secure their house and, and buy, you know, an alarm system after their neighbor gets broken into. So um, that's typically when we engage. Or, like I said, another catalyst thing happens where a new person comes in, a new leadership comes in, and they need to understand where they are. But, um, but the majority of folks that we get in, engaged in where we successfully help them, you know, with a security initiative is, is after something's gone wrong or they've seen something significantly close to home go wrong. Hey there, IT Visionaries listeners. It's time to supercharge your network with Zeo, the North American leader in modern network infrastructure. Zeo connects critical data centers across the United States, Canada, and Europe with high-capacity metro fiber and extensive long-haul dark fiber. Trusted by the world's most innovative companies, Zeo embodies what's next in networking. Discover Zeo's expansive network maps on their website and see where their network can take you. With low-latency, reliable 400G and 800G-enabled routes, it's the modern network solution you've been searching for. Visit Zeo's website today to unlock the power of your network and tap into the technologies of tomorrow. Go to zeo.com slash network right now. So this is something that I, I now got to ask you because like, you know, it sounds like it's a very reactive process, mm -hmm. right? And so if, let's just assume that that's the case. I, I would, you know, based on what you just said, I'm going to say this is very similar to like purchasing uh, like a hot water heater, right? The reality is no one is going to buy a hot water heater unless their hot water heater breaks. Like I've never seen one sold to someone just because mm -hmm. it's an upgrade, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so if that is the case, right? What would you recommend somebody else? For example, let's say I'm the business leader. I'm a CEO, CFO. Maybe we got a company. We're not a tech first company, but we are tech enabled. Uh, let's say, you know, I, I think a lot of companies are like this now where they make maybe physical products, but they have a digital customer layer, Yeah. right? Like, Hey, I have a physical product, but I have a digital customer layer. I'm interacting with customers in a digital fashion. They talk to me via mobile. Even if I'm selling shoes, I don't know. Nike tries to get me to talk to them on chat. I'm like, well, I don't know what to, I don't want to say anything. You're a shoe. Yeah. Right. But that's not how people, we, we know that every physical product is going to have a digital layer. I mean, it's arguably already here. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's already here. Yeah. So let's say something happens to me. My core business is not digital. It's physical. I have a digital layer. How do I go about choosing who to help me? What should I be looking for? If I'm, if I'm here looking, you know, I'm the company, I'm looking for someone because I need a third party to help me. What should I be looking for? I can answer that in kind of how I, how I choose partners, I guess, how I choose people to work yeah. with. I'll throw out things that are important to me in our discussion. And I really want someone who's going to be able to communicate that back to me and hear it and then, and then address the need, right? Not necessarily, I say what's important to me as, a, as an organization, and then they go into their talk track about what they're trying to pitch. That's a, that, that so many, I see so many people get caught in that loop of, hey, you know, they're, they're waiting for you to stop talking so they can talk. They're not really listening. 
right? So that's that's really crucial is trying to find out, hey, who, who, who's listening to my, ch- my challenge here and trying to address back to me what, I, what I'm like verbalizing as a, as, a, as a problem. That's that's core to our culture and that's what we try to look at when we're trying to find partners. Hey, it's, it's great you have this widget. I don't know if that widget is gonna solve my problem, but here's the problem I'm looking to solve. Can we, can we talk about that? If they go right back to pitching that widget, I know my brain shuts off. I'll be polite and listen to him. <laughs> I'll be polite and listen to him for the next 30 minutes or whatever the call is, but I'm, I'm done with that person. Like I got to move on to find someone who can help me. And I think, I think a lot of buyers are like that. <laughs> oh, there's no doubt about it. There, so there is, and this is where I think it's interesting from your background, right? Because I, I've seen in, let's say in, in SIs like yourselves at Quest, over the years, the people who it used to be the idea was, oh, an AE or a rep, they're just like a, you know, hard charging, manic on the phone. They're not going to leave you alone. They probably don't know all the answers. They're going to pull in their corporate bro. architect. You're either, they're, yeah, corporate bro. Exactly. Shout out Ross. Uh, <laughs> shout out Ross and his show. But you know what I mean? Like they're going to actively try their and, um, and like kind of muscle a conversation, kind of like what you said. And then they'll hopefully their solutions engineer or sales engineer can, can answer the tech questions. Yeah. It sounds like you, in, in, I know you from outside this small little window, but like, it sounds like you've learned a lot of the products and the services that, that people need to know about. And they, they want the person they're talking to, to explain, give us an idea. How did you develop this skill? Because for those who are not familiar, Adam does not really have a background in technology. He went to UC Davis. You got we got we're looking at you. You got a BS in economics, but you did do something unique. You served in the U.S. Army. When did you or how did you learn your tech chops? Was it in the army or did, did you just do it on your own on the side? So I was in the army for a little while, and um, Quest is is a, is a is a family organization. So I, I always knew I was going to come back and work for the company after I served. And my my grandfather gave me my first salute when I commissioned. And he was a um, enlisted man in the Navy. And um, he pulled me aside after he gave me my first salute. And he said, keep your ass down. Listen to your NCOs. You don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> and if you t- I took that same approach when I joined Quest after I got out. Because that really served me well in the Army. It, it served me very well as an infantry officer. And that was, it worked. Um, he's a smart guy. <laughs> And so when I came into, into technology, I, you, I listened to the, not to, I didn't listen to the sales reps or the OEMs or the people out there pitching a, a story. Those are important because you got to know the buzzwords, you got to know the marketing, you got to be able to talk the talk. But I listened to the, the engineers, the level one techs. I, I, I worked in the knock. I um, got the opportunity. My first job at Quest was, hey, we're building out our private cloud practice. This is back in 2010 go find us data centers around the country that are similar to the data centers that we own and operate. And, you know, they take care of security. They, they're in, in stable areas. They're, you know, secure. Go find us some delivery centers around the country. So my first two years at Quest, I was out finding data center partners. So I got to learn everything about data centers. I got to learn about the Equinix, the tubes, the, you know, the digital realty trusts, all that kind of stuff. And you, you just, you learn from operators and, and you, and you keep your mouth shut until you have at least something, you know, something that's 
relevant to say. Um, and, and I know I just completely blew that out of the water by talking for the last five minutes. So <laughs> you're fine. So <laughs> it's a podcast. People want to hear how you came to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so no, that's, that's, that's really, uh, kind of how I was able to know a little bit about a couple different things, which, which helps. There you go. At what point did you start getting to the, to the idea like, Hey, because one, one of the things that inevitably happens in someone's, uh, let's say on the account side, and this is because this is where I sat is you start learning, you start, you start managing accounts and your accounts start having questions. You work with your sales engineers. Like you mentioned, like level one text, maybe level two, it doesn't matter. You're working with someone who's in the technical field Mm -hmm. and you're starting to absorb all the things that they're saying. And then there comes a point when you can kind of answer the question without assistance. Like you've just learned it, right? Where, so for example, I remember the first time I knew I knew something was like, I could read API documentation. I was like, oh, I could, I could do this myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. What was that like? What was that moment for you? Because you guys have such a huge breadth of services, but where was there a moment in time where you're like, man, I'm starting to become not a technical expert, but at least a functional expert. Like I can understand yeah. the baselines of this technology. I, it was funny. I was on a I was on a partner call, and I, I had done. We recruit partners, and I I bring on sales agents all the time, and I I met with the owners and was chatting with them, and I went on to brief their sales team, and they introduced me as the technical lead at Quest, and I I was like, <laughs> well, that's not true. I'm definitely not the technical lead, but it was. I make the assumption that, you know, I, like everyone, like if you do it, you know, hey, yeah, you can do that. That's if, if you figure out a way to do it, it becomes, it kind of, you think it's just second nature. It's just, you think it's a yeah. natural progression and everyone's at that same stage of their understanding as you at that time. You're like, yeah, well, this is, this is, you know, I've seen this 20, I've seen this exact same problem 20 times, haven't you? And you forget, <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's why they called you because they haven't. So let's back it up, you know, talk them through and, 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 and kind of, you know, walk them through the process. Cause i I'll just go, you know, you just, you start going that, that, that's, that's my, yeah. uh, that's my hamstring there. So <laughs> no, that's, I had a, I had a similar, similar experience with this product called Oracle customer care and billing. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's a utility, it's utility management, which is sounds super boring, but, uh, how to read water meters and stuff like that. And it was, it was actually quite complicated. And I remember, um, someone offered me a gig similar to you. Like it was like, I would be the the technical lead for a, a CCMB integration. I'm like, dude, I don't know how to do it at all. <laughs> I know how to use this product. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how to install this product. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The fun thing about our industry right now is all the, everyone wants to share as much as they can. And, and, and people are, people are, are looking for and willing to mentor people in this field. Like, they want to help. Like a lot of that's, that, that's one really cool thing about the culture. I come from the veteran community. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell more of my friends that are transitioning, like, Hey, you got to come into it. You got to come over here. Cause your, your discipline, your background, you know, what you have available. It's a, it's a welcoming community that I think more and more people need to seriously take a look at whether it's sales or operations. If you can, you know, be humble and ask questions and there's a lot of people willing to, willing to help. Well, I agree with you. And the, the, the thing I would put thumb on is there's more problems than there are solutions right now. Yep. And I th- it feels like that's going to continue to be the case. So the, the idea that you mentioned that shut your mouth up, you shut your mouth, keep your head low and 
because you, you don't know anything. I, I butchered what your granddad said, but somewhere along those lines, that's very true because there's new emerging technologies all the time that are becoming to the forefront. And the reality is most people don't know what to do with them. You know, when there's, there's a new emerging technology that's happening in your field, it's happening in all of our field. And I'm curious, you don't have to have an answer, but I'm curious about your opinion, like where you think things are going. There's this idea, there's this pervasive idea and it's happening right now. A lot of companies are selling it that artificial intelligent operations is going to be like the AI ops or you can hear it. It's like, it's going to be used in both network as well as cyber in cybersecurity specifically, like they're going to use smart, intelligent tools to start tracking even more breaches endpoint obfuscation, you know, malicious code, bad actors. They're saying that a lot of people have been predicting this, right? But now that AI keeps getting into the news mm. is because it feels like it, there's a tipping point where maybe AI can figure this out where it's like, I don't have to do anything. I can have this AI software and it can solve all my network downs. It can do my reroutes. That's like my basic fundamentals, but it might also stop the bad actors, fix endpoints, recognize data leaks and breaches, it's a promising future. And I think it's one that people want to come true, mm -hmm. but based on what you've seen, how close or how far are we away from network security, application security, premise, all monitored by AI and AI alone, no people. I, I don't know. To me, that's a, to me, that's kind of a terrifying thought. Uh, I'm kind of more of the uh, <laughs> Terminator two. I grew up in, I was born in the early eighties. So I've, as I watched all the, the Schwarzenegger movies, and yeah. that's where my my battle of the machines matrix kind of goes comes to mind on that. I think we're a little far off on that. I think the biggest shift that's coming up is there's a lot of talent out there that's misplaced right now, and I think the cost of money in in the economy hasn't trickled through the IT world yet. And I think with mm. I with AI and the cost of labor and the cost of capital kind of coming together at the same time. I mean, we saw what happened at Twitter with 80% of that workforce going away and Twitter still operates. As far as I, as can, far tell, as I yeah. can tell, it's still churning. Yeah. Shopify just cut 20%. Um, the other news, big news organizations, right? I, IBM recently announced that over 7,000 jobs will not need to be hired. They put a freeze on them because they're like, I think AI can do these jobs. So it, it hasn't gotten to like replace people, but it does feel like it's making fewer people more effective. Yeah. So there's therefore, like you said, cost of capital. So I don't need... 10 guys or 10 people, I need one yeah. with this software. Maybe I can monitor the whole thing. Yeah. And I know everyone kind of jokes, you know, Terminator end of the world kind of scenarios with AI and jokes about that. I, I, I don't think that's actually going to happen, but the market's going to reset a little bit. I think there's going to be, there's going to be some jobs that go away. And then I think there's, I think the market's always like it always does. They're going to find, people are going to find new roles that, that need to fill a different gap, maybe leveraging tools that are improved by AI. So I mean, we saw this happen in the virtualization space. You used to have, but when, when VMware and, and, and that whole process kind of you know, jumped and, and, and moved, there, there used to be a totally different system administration you know, divisions within IT that were completely gone, completely went away by virtualization and containerization and, and, and managing apps and hosting things that way. I mean, that, that automation you know, changed back back in you know the early 2000s and 2010s. I mean, that that happened and we still have thousands of IT jobs. People just shifted to where they were needed. So I think that's yeah. probably going to happen, but it'll it, it, it'll probably be a little bumpy here the next couple of years, I'm assuming. Well, that's it kind of goes back to what we said a little bit earlier, right? It's like, there's no one knows anything. That's, that's what's interesting about this field is like nobody, no matter how much you know, if you kind of stop learning, 
you know nothing. Like you'll yeah. you'll very quickly find that you actually know nothing. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean, I, all I know is I got some great people, and I know I have a good network, and I know who to call, and I can help. I can help coordinate things, and hopefully, I can be there when when someone needs help. That's that's about as much as as you can as you can hope for. Like, hey, have a good network, talk to people. You know, know you know. Hey, I got a guy. If you got a guy, you can call. <laughs> You know, you're, you're a couple of steps ahead. You know, some people don't even know who to call in the event of an emergency. Like some people are just like, well, what do we do? I got it. I got to ask, what's the uh, longest downtime a company has been down, whether it's through malicious or whether it's through like internal failures? I don't know. We had a fun story on IT Visionaries once where the uh, CTO of MailChimp, he wasn't CTO yet, but Eric Muntz talked about how he checked in a piece of code that basically took MailChimp down. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> yeah. Now, luckily he was able, they were able to reverse it because of, you know, some simple processes, but what's the longest you've heard someone be down before they got to a solution? We worked with a, an integrated manufacturing group that they were out for two weeks. And this was, this was, a, I mean, not, a, it wasn't a huge firm, In but manufacturing? they were manufacturing they, and they, and they, they did, they did a little over 300 million a year in uh, a certain, a certain type of manufacturing. And, and they were down for, they were down for a solid two weeks. The only thing that saved them was they had an offsite copy and one copy of, of their key business application that we had to basically rebuild them from scratch. It took two weeks to get them back up and operational. I mean, they were, they were down, oh, they I were down hard. When, okay. Okay. I got to ask when they first told you what the problem was, did they know how bad the problem was? Was it like, Oh my God, this has happened. Or it's like, oh, I think I have a problem. Well, funny, we, we got a call. I'm not sure if this will identify him or not. Um, we got a call from a partner who was in a deer blind on a Saturday afternoon. And he said, he called me and he said, Hey, I got a customer and they're seeing some activity on one of their desktops. Can you give them a call and see if they need some help? And so we called them and they just lost, lost control of some pretty critical uh, domain controllers. And and things were moving quick. And by the time we got engaged, which was about 20 minutes later, they were completely locked. It was, everything was gone and encrypted. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. For those who don't know what deer blind is, uh, uh, it's like a little mini camouflage structure so that someone can hunt deer. <laughs> if you're listening, you're like, what's, what's a deer blind? Sorry, he was in a deer stand. That- he was, he was sitting in a tree. Cause oh, he's, yeah, he's sorry, sorry, no, deer stand. Yeah, yeah. Duck blind, deer stand. Sorry. Duck blind. Deer, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I messed that up too. Yeah. Hey, listen, I'm just trying to make sure everyone knows what you're talking about. Like well, deer blind. Do I need to look that up? <laughs> <laughs> it's a new, it's a new great XDR product. You got to buy it. It's called deer. Gotta blind. have it. Gotta have it. Gotta have it. Adam's the only one that has it. Give him a call. Yeah. Yeah. Change your life. <laughs> so that is pretty, that is pretty crazy that it starts off as a minor. It's, it's like leaks. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a leak. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have a leak. Yep. Well, how bad is it? Well, I don't know. Yep. We got a little bit of water dripping through, but you don't know if the whole upstairs is flooded or just small pipe, whatever the case may be. Yep. So 20. So this is a great question. You guys are, you know, you service customers. You are the consider the technology experts. Customers have problems and they give you a call. Well, how fast can you get your technical teams on a project to assess what is wrong? Because that you mentioned like 20 minutes later, that's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Uh, to me on a Saturday, 20 minutes cra- on a Saturday is pretty crazy considering we're not customer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For, for, I mean, so we, we run an incident response, incident containment team. It's, it's a 24 seven and we, we run it kind of like 
Like so our background, it, 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 a quick reaction for us. We run it like a, a rotating QRF type of a scenario where we have, we have about 200 engineers on staff and we have a, a security division. And basically we have a manager on duty and a quick reaction force that's kind of tagged uh, within our system, you know, 24 seven. So who's basically who's on call. Um, and when something comes into our system, we, we run, you have an 800 number on our website and we have an IR at questus.com. We get people on the phone in about 15 minutes. That's good. Yeah. There you go. And that, that honestly, from a sales standpoint, and when something goes wrong and someone needs help, you're either, you're either there or they're, 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 they're calling someone else. So we, we, we built a practice around it to be available and, and ready to help when that, when that need comes. Okay. Now I got to ask, how often does that phone line ring? Uh, we're averaging about three a week. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So three, three emergencies a week. Yeah. All right. I'm trying to think like how, how big of a problem is this? It's very underreported. Like the sexy stuff yeah. is very well reported, but that's what I was thinking. Yeah. The big, the big ones, the ones everyone hears are like, Oh, like, you know, the, what is that? Colonial pipeline or whatever they got hit. Yeah, sure. all, the, all the big ones that hit national news, but in the middle market and SMB market every day, every day people yeah. are getting hit. That's, that's what I was going to ask also as, as the follow-ups, like, you know, because these incidents attacks are happening, um, I'm assuming all the time, but like you said, they're just, they're just not quite newsworthy enough, I guess. Yeah. So the news, the, the news passes on them. Well, Adam, man, it was awesome having you on the show, sharing a little bit of what you do, how you got there. I'm curious for yourself because we've not had that many, we just haven't interviewed that many veterans, uh, on the show for yourself. Did you find military service to be helpful in this field specifically? Cause you, you kind of learned that trait your dad taught you. I mean, your granddad taught you, right. Yeah. And because, but like, was how did, cause you mentioned earlier, like you think like it's actual great path to take yeah. if you are a service member, what skills specifically you felt like you obtained there that helped you here? So I think it translates very well. And especially for anybody who's in, uh, I, I work with a lot of guys from the special forces community. Gotcha. You know, infantry and ranger and, and that type of group. Not that there's anything wrong with pogues, but um, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. But uh, no, uh, so commander's intent, I think is, is, is the biggest thing that transfers from military to uh, civilian world. Understanding the business objective and understanding, hey, I can operate within this left and right limit. This is what I can do. And here's where I need to get to. And here's what I'm trying, here's what the customer's trying to do. So if you can translate the idea of, hey, here's what my commander wanted me to do. And here's my objective. And here's where I can operate. And then you take that and say, hey, here's the business case we're trying to solve for. Here's, here's what I have in my kit bag. Here's all the different tools I have to leverage. Here's how I can operate. And this is where I'm trying to get. Every day is a new mission and every day is, there's a new problem to solve. So if, you, if you're into that mindset and you like to, you know, hey, I'm going to try to figure this out. You know, I'm going to try to understand this game. I'm going to try to understand how to, how to get from point A to point B. You'd be surprised. Showing up on time and doing what you say you're going to do. <laughs> you think as, a, as an army guy, you think like, yeah, everybody does that. Oh, that's what everybody yeah, does. Every, yeah. Everybody does that. Like, wait, what? Like, no, I said I was going to be there. You, so you're there, right? No, that's not quite the way it works. <laughs> so, so if you have the, if you have discipline, a lot of dudes, you know, coming out of the military and folks coming out of the military have, have that discipline. They can crush it in the private sector. Show up on time. There you go. Do what you say you're going to do. I think it's, I think it's great. Big shout out. Listen, for all you that are listening, whether you're in military or not, but if you are, the cybersecurity field is one of the most in-demand fields there. You can 
uh, like I've ever seen in a long time. The amount of job openings that are still opening in this sector continued to increase. And, you know, uh, I think one of my, one of my buddies that's in the business, he kind of said, you know, there's never been a time when everyone in the world was happy with what they had. They always want, there's always someone who wants to take what you have. And, because that's true, cybersecurity is never going to stop because it makes it easier for those people to try to take something, which I was like, well, okay, no one's ever satisfied. And that's, that's a, that's an unfortunate fact. So Adam, it was awesome having you here. Thanks for sharing a lot of the stuff that you're doing with te- uh, Quest Technology Management. But before you go, we have a little, we have a little segment we want to do. You ready? Sure. Let's do it. All right. It is time for our network health checkup. This is brought to us by Zayo. It's where we ask you questions about modern infrastructure. And we're going to tailor these questions a little bit so that you don't have to get all the network questions since we know that is not your area of expertise. But implementing incidences and incidents response is in, in your realm of expertise. So we're going to ask you some quick, punchy questions, see how you react. You ready to go? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> all right. Someone says, hey. I want to reduce the amount of incidences I have. What is the common strategy for effective incident management? Go. Do your patching assessment, do a vulnerability test, and get next generation endpoint security on all of your endpoints. If you do those three things, you'll be better than 80% of the market. What's a great next generation endpoint security system that you would recommend? There's a lot of great ones out there. CrowdStrike, Carbon Black, Sentinel One, Cisco AMP, all great stuff. Looking, Make sure it's looking for anomaly-based detection malware, not signature-based threats. All right. When people do go down, sometimes people do attack the network. You guys are all there to bring network data, everything back online. What are some of the lessons you've learned from outages, data outages, data blockages, data hijacks? What should a company do to implement and prevent those? So test your backups. You'd be surprised how many people have not tested their backups for being operational. It's a backup. It's great. It's there test it and make sure you have a solid uh, restoration plan. Just because your VMs and your applications are backed up doesn't mean you have it scripted out on how to effectively restore those services because there there are there is an order and a precedent that needs to be followed. So test it and then figure out how you're going to how you're going to automate recovery. All right, no matter what type of modern application it is, data is moving between multiple endpoints. Uh, with the advent of cloud, people are using serverless, they're using Lambda, they're you know moving data from point A to point B, they're gonna model it in BigQuery and send it to somewhere else. So data is moving, it's connected. How should someone design their system so they can minimize the single points of failure inside their inside their ecosystem? So always have a backup, you know, what is it? Two is one, one is none. So um, high availability switching, high availability ed- on your edge, diverse paths to the internet, both facility-based and carrier-based is a good idea. Uh, make sure you have re- a resilient and um, a redundant network connectivity, and then classify your data and understand what data sits where. Listen, most people don't think this way. That's what I always thought. When I, when I was in the, uh, I was in a software startup that did uh, software defined area, um, wide area networking, SD-WAN, uh, for those of you out there, let's sling in the lingo. Yep. And, uh, when I heard the solution, I was like, this is clearly obvious. Why do we need to teach anybody this? And it's like, good, because people don't do it. <laughs> it goes back to, I think your exercise and exercise, eat right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you know, it's a good thing to do. Yeah. But for whatever reason, you just chose not to build it when you built your application and you forgot. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I just got back from a convention that for three days in Las Vegas and, you know, made it out of Vegas pretty successfully. But there are still people there who think that things won't catch up with you. And they always they always do. So eat right, be healthy, do the right thing. You'll stick around yeah. longer. Go with high availability. Yeah. Listen, if you didn't answer the same way that our experts do, and if any of those answers that Adam just laid gave uh, said gave you a little bit of pause, listen, go ahead and drop in. Take the network health check presented by Zayo. It is going to be linked in the show notes below. It's a free questionnaire that can guide you towards better network health for modern application use cases. Customers today are super unforgiving when they can't access their applications. Don't let your network be the cause or even worse yet, don't lose your data because you didn't protect your network. Adam, it was awesome having you on the show. Thanks for letting us do that ad read. Thanks for sharing all about Quest. It was a lot of fun. And man, listen, I thought you hit the questions right out of the park, man. You said you wouldn't know anything. Uh, you, Dude, you were on fire. <laughs> thanks. Well, thanks. I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Yeah.